You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday the 31st of August, another uh, lovely late summer, early autumn day here in TW11. And although you might think it's a quiet weekend, if you look beneath the surface, perhaps not so, because we have got the ARC winner running in Baden-Baden to Quarta Tasso against the German Derby winner. We have got the horse that many people in the United States believe is the best horse in the world. Maybe it's not by E, maybe it's Flightline. He's putting those credentials on the line and bidding to maintain his unbeaten record in the TVG $1 million Pacific Classic, where he'll face five rivals at Del Mar at the weekend. We'll be looking ahead in more depth to that over the next couple of days here on the podcast. We saw the retirement of State of Rest announced yesterday. We'll be discussing that and the implications thereof in a few moments' time. He failed an MRI scan, which meant he couldn't travel to Australia to defend his Cox Plate crown. I'll be talking to Channel 7's Jason Richardson about that. I'll also be talking to uh, Joseph O'Brien's father, Aidan O'Brien, about Little Big Bear and whether we're likely to see him again this season and whether he might pull a rabbit out of the hat with Luxembourg in the Irish Champion Stakes a couple of weeks from now. But first of all, the curious case of 10-10-20, a little-known horse up until now, uh, Lydia Hislop, joins me this morning. Lydia, what is this curious case and why should we be interested in it? Okay, so 10-10-20 is uh, a horse that won at Cork in on the 7th of August 2021. At that point, he was trained by uh, John Murphy. Um, he failed a dope test afterwards. Um, and we learned about this only on the 30th of August of this year. So more than a year on was when we, it actually came before the referrals committee of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. Um, John Murphy uh, declined to uh, get uh, option B, um, uh, the option of a, of a B sample. Um, and then giving evidence, um, Dr. Lynn Hillier, who's the head of anti-doping and chief veterinary officer, um, she was explaining the positive, which was for meloxicam. It's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug commonly used in equine practice. It also has some analgesic proper properties and it's used to treat inflammation and pain, sometimes in combination with other medications. Um, initially, uh, John Murphy sent a copy of his medicines register um, and the page relating to 101020, which recorded an entry for RecoCam. Uh, recorded as administered or orally on a dose of 10 millilitres. That was on the 4th of August, so three days beforehand, on the advice of his veterinary surgeon. But on further investigation, it was discovered that that prescription-only medicine, which should only be applied by a vet, was actually uh, prescribed for a different horse. Um, and so John Murphy had prescribed it to this horse, 10, 10, 20, without any kind of um, veterinary direction. From this point onwards, and much was made of this in um, Dr Hillier's evidence, uh, John Murphy was very cooperative um, with the investigation. And the referrals committee found that the horse should be disqualified, the winning stake forfeited, of course. They pointed out it was the first breach of the rule by John Murphy and that Dr Hillier had mentioned that significant degree of cooperation. But they said, 
However, despite the previous clean record and the subsequent admissions and cooperation, this offence was serious and above the level of minimum gravity by reason of Mr Murphy's reckless decision to deploy unused medicine that had been prescribed for an older broodmare to a younger animal engaged in competition and did so entirely without veterinary supervision or authorisation. This represented a significant breach of his responsibilities as a licensed trainer. Of course, there is no mention there at the the initial um, uh, misdirection of the medicines register. I I would have thought that would have been mentioned in summary, but it wasn't. €4,000 in total, uh, 500 of which was for the the medicines register not being correct. So I and I don't want to sound blasé about this and go, yeah, yeah, another medication overage, you know, nothing to see here. Why is this case more interesting than normal? Well, I mean, there's sort of two levels, really. Um, medication overages in general, let's come back to that point. But let's start with the specifics of this case. Well, it, the reason is because 10, 10, 20 was uh, was purchased uh, not long afterwards, on the 27th of October at the Tattersall's Horses in Training Sale. And he's now in training with DJ Jeffries. This horse cost 32,000 guineas. And um, since DJ has had him, um, he has run four times, the most promising of which was the last run at Utoxter when he was beaten 14 and a half lengths in a novice hurdle. Uh-huh. Um, the point is, would DJ have bought this horse had he known that the horse had won and then tested positive? Well, earlier on, I spoke to DJ Jeffries and asked him that very question. Um, I think the fact the horse won um, during that performance, uh, the answer is no. Right. Yeah. Well, that that's a fairly that's a fairly short and sweet answer. Uh, how do you feel about it now? Um, well, I obviously have only read um, a very small bit of it on the Racing Post. I don't know the finer details of it, um, but I mean. <laughs> I probably, I mean, I mean, pretty mixed emotions. I, um, I'd probably rather find out a bit more about it before I commented too much more. I mean, is your inclination? You think, well, can I do something about this, or are you, are you sort of thinking, well, I'm too far down the track now. I may as well just take my medicine and prepare him for what I was preparing him for. I, I think I'm too far down the track. I mean, the first thing I did was obviously contact my his new owners. And, um, you know, I said to them that I had had the horse long enough now to have found out any sort of, uh, wrong, you know, wrongdoings or concerns, and I haven't. So um, if they were happy just to keep going and, and, and ignore it, then, then, then that would be my preferred option. So you're happy enough that there's a base level of some ability there that you've got something to work with, given what you paid for the horse? Yeah, we've had the horse long enough to know that there's, uh, there's a degree of ability there and... Um, you know, he, 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 he's certainly going to make a fun little horse for them in time. I, I suppose if you'd found out sooner, say you'd found out within six, eight, ten, twelve weeks, when you're past the normal point of being able to chuck a horse back to a to, to a sales company, do you think you would have done something then and said, actually, no, I don't want to, I don't want to take the risk? Well, um, I think I would have definitely contacted the sales and asked them for their opinion and what their take was on it. Um, interestingly enough, we gave the horse a break straight after buying him so he would have been you know i wouldn't have known too much about him at that stage dj jeffries there oh well there you go lydia there's your answer no is the is the is the short answer but he's kind of got to take his medicine there what a very unsatisfactory situation that is and it sounds like uh dj and the owners who are the cheltenham amigos have 
in the circumstances taken this very well indeed and they're obviously thinking okay well they know enough about the horse now to be fairly confident that he is a, a going um concern you know he's due to run today at worcester don't you in no the- <laughs> at 10 past seven this evening with Shut up. yeah that is true it's true yeah <laughs> uh, so extraordinary really what a coincidence but basically i mean the point is people who were potentially buying this horse should have known um you know the, the process is the process is far too slow and that there should be some way of uh, there being disclosure to a potential purchase now i'm talking off the top of my head here is it at the point where where they've purchased those i don't know but i uh, there has to be some form of uh, of disclosure there needs to be uh, a recognition that this might impact on somebody's decision to buy a horse certainly at that price i'm gonna have to bring him back aren't i oh are you well he's running tonight and he's been backed <laughs> well that could be conspiracy theorists one sec here we go Uh, hi dj nick again sorry uh you've spotted the deliberate mistake i failed to spot that the horse was actually running this evening so uh is this going to be um a a glorious redemption for you and your faith in him (laughs) how's he actually going to run well basically that um um we've been working on his jumping and um you know he, he, he should come on from his last run and do you? I mean, do you do you actually expect him to run well? Um, yes. So, so it could be, you know, it could be poetic justice that you you get your win in a week race at Worcester tonight. It could could just happen. Um, um, obviously, I've got owners after <laughs> <to> chatting. <laughs> um, I've got a schedule call with them later. All right, DJ. Thanks. Okay. Cheers. Right. All right. Um, th- this st- this story is even weirder than I thought it was in the first place. Yeah, th- it doesn't sound like that. Um, that publication of the prohibited substance referral has has, has been timed that well. He's had an absolute shocker here, hasn't he? <laughs> He's had an absolute shocker. Oh my word! Right, let's try and get this podcast back on point. Um, <laughs> no. I mean, it, there's a, I mean, there's a serious point underneath all that, and we've made those serious points. But yes, it does sound like the timing is, uh, how do we put it, not ideal. Not ideal at all. Right, shall we move on and talk about uh, State of Rest, who has been retired um, because he has had an MRI scan ordered by Racing Victoria as part of his preparations for the Cox Plate, which showed up um, inadequacies th- that mean that he can't travel to Australia and run in that, so Connections have decided to retire him. Um, I've been talking to uh, Channel 7's Jason Richardson and I asked him how disappointed they were in Australia that the defending champion wouldn't come down and where this would leave the Cox Plate. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think it probably explains, Nick, um, what we saw in France because his run was really below par, wasn't it? Um, over, Albeit back at a mile, but that was really below par. And that's not the globetrotter we've seen who's been able to capture group ones around the world. So um, the result of the scan probably puts a lot of minds to rest as to why he ran so poorly. And keep in mind, he is also um, part owned by Australian stud interests. So there's a lot of interest in that horse in Australia. So uh, we'll see him not this breeding season, but the following breeding season, he'll stand the European stud for the first season and then down to Australia. So where does it leave um, the Cox Plate? Well, 
Animo, the horse that he defeated narrowly as an Australian three-year-old last year in the Cox Plate. Um, and, of course, we remember the all the drama around the protest and the, the various hearings in a COVID world where journalists were having to peer through uh, blinds trying to find out the result. Um, and it was uh, dismissed that protest, state of rest, winning the Cox Plate, Animo running second. Now, Animo has run first up from a spell here after winning another another group one in the autumn as a three-year-old. So he's one of only three horses in history that's won a group one as a two-year-old, a group one as a spring three-year-old, a group one as a spring as an autumn three-year-old, and now a group one as a spring four-year-old. So he is a proper, proper horse because he won the Wink Stakes first up. He is the short price favourite in the Cox Plate. Um, he's... Uh, his opposition, mm, Zaki, we'll know more on Saturday. Zaki runs first up in the tramway, a race that he won uh, quite easily last year. Of course, he was scratched on the morning of the Cox Plate and then two weeks later won the McKinnon Stakes after that uh, hoof abscess uh, burst. So he recovered quickly there. So everyone is predicting Animo versus Zaki. And then we have a horse like El Bodegon, who's a two-time Group 1 winner as a two-year-old in France, trained by James Ferguson for the NAS Syndicate, stands for Newmarket, Ascot and Sydney, a group of Australians getting together, uh, buying uh, yearlings in Europe, uh, raising them in Newmarket, trying to win a race at Ascot and eventually coming down to go to Chris Waller in uh, in Sydney. He'll head down for the Cox Plate and he's run runner-up in the French Derby for mine. is good enough to be right in the mix in the Cox Plate. So James Ferguson will hand the horse over to Chris Waller and Chris has a big chance, I think, to win his fifth Cox Plate to, uh, to add to the four for the Mighty Mayor Winks. And then outside of those... Well, the cupboard's a smidgen bare, or we'll see the emergence of a spring three-year-old, or we'll see a horse like Mr Brightside, who's the favourite for the fee which is a, a win and you're in the Cox Plate on Saturday in a small field. We might see the development of a horse who's probably not as highly rated, um, but will go through the grades and uh, and tackle the field in the Cox Plate, but... For mine, it's Animo versus Zaki with the uh, European El Bodegon as the big danger. Uh, Richo, to what extent has the fact that State of Rest not passed an MRI scan ordered by Racing Victoria reheated the debate about um, pre-travel testing for European Raiders and the impact thereof on the competitiveness of those key races? Well, if anything, it's probably um, given a big tick to Racing Victoria because uh, the hottest topic at the moment uh, in world racing is equine welfare. So jo- uh, Joseph O'Brien's press release where he was, uh, where he stated that uh, the the MRI revealed some issues that no doubt were there in in uh, in France, and that would explain the poor performance. And that in many ways, this is one of the good things that come out of. Uh, this analysis to make sure that we prevent a catastrophic injury. And I'm sure the owners of State Arrest, though disappointed, would be thinking about, well, the other side is, if we didn't go through that scenario, we didn't go through those scans, we did our own test, but maybe not 
as invasive, then maybe we might not have picked this up and then he might have had a catastrophic injury while racing, which no one wants to see. So I think the overall reaction has been, I think everyone in Australia recognised that maybe last year's protocols were, were a touch too strict and that they've started to be uh, a little less rigorous and uh, naturally, you know, we'll hopefully have, you know, six-plus European uh, competitors having a crack at the Melbourne Cup, a couple at the Caulfield Cup, El Bodigon coming down for a Cox Plate. So I think overall the protocols have been adjusted a touch and with equine welfare at the front of our mind, we've looked at state of rest and said, okay, I think this is actually a good scenario. All right, Jason Richardson there on on state of rest. Interesting point I wanted to pick up at the end there, Lydia, that it's Joseph O'Brien's very conciliatory press release, praise, praising the horse and completely understanding the situation. He's got a very good relationship with Australian authorities, as evidenced by his very good record down there. And this has obviously gone down very well in Victoria, where horse welfare, as Jason said, is, is uppermost in everybody's mind. Slight shift there in terms of in terms of how these regulations are being perceived both here and in in Australia, but it it still throws up a couple of knotty little questions, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you can you can look at it two ways. In the uh, in effect, what has happened is that by applying to race to try and uh, defend his Cox Plate crown, by applying to do that and failing the MRI scan, state of rest has in effect been retired. And so people who are going to send their very good horses for these races are going to have to consider that scenario. Now, in the case of State of Rest, he is a four-year-old colt. They have his progeny to look forward to. If it was a gelding, that becomes a very different proposition because you then have a horse on your hands that has got this finding against, against them. And uh, then do you do you carry on racing or not? Well, you know, on your head be it. So that's one way of looking for, to, at it if you are connected to a horse where this happens. The other way of looking at it, of course, is the way that, you, that you've just heard, that this is a, of absolute benefit to the horse. It means that uh, injuries that otherwise would not be found routinely are uncovered, and that prevents a potentially catastrophic injury. I would like to understand, you know, where the line comes in terms of, you know, as I am, as I'm not a vet, I don't, I don't understand where, where the line comes between um, a problem that might be there and never cause any kind of a problem. We, I mean, we don't know how long uh, state arrest might have been carrying whatever it was that the MRI scan threw up. Um, is it material materially going to affect his ability to race and his ability and and his actual well-being? Obviously, you are on the side of caution, and reputationally, racing probably does need to err on the side of caution. So, a blow for Joseph O'Brien, but what a wonderful horse state of rest has been for him. What a special horse, Little Big Bear, could yet be for his father, Aiden. He certainly looked it when winning the Phoenix Stakes so impressively the other day at, at the Curra, and we were hoping to see him in the national stakes. Aidan said at the weekend that wasn't going to happen. So I put a call into him last night, and I began by asking the master of Bally Doyle where he was at with his two-year-old star. Yeah, he just hasn't uh, went back into work yet, uh, Nick. Uh, obviously, uh, we have to wait until he's uh, 100% and there's no uh, soreness in his foot um, before we step him back into work. And that's why we kind of uh, just said at the weekend. And obviously, when he's not back into full work now, he wouldn't make the national stakes, really. 
So is that the the little injury he picked up when he kicked out at the was it before the before the run in in the Phoenix when you said he'd lashed out before the race is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And just the toe tip of the shoe just went into the sole of his foot, um, and and obviously. Um, um, you could only imagine how sore that would be. Um, so obviously uh, he was fine. Um, um, everybody was happy to let him run, but he was just sore after it. And in a sense, I suppose once the once the gates open and they've done something like that, they they run on adrenaline a little bit, I guess. I think so. Like obviously he was trotting perfect, and everybody saw him going to the start, and he was moving out great. And and like like you said, in adrenaline. Um, I would get him through and they wouldn't have much feeling because that's kind of a more the sense, sense uh, the sensitive part of the foot obviously um so um obviously when he cooled out and that it was sore and it's kind of like uh breaking your toenail or your your nail on your finger um um obviously it, it just takes uh, time for it to heal back yeah, I mean, given that he's got that group one under his belt now and it was a ridiculously impressive performance and one that's unlikely to be bettered by a juvenile this season. Are, are you more minded to be to be cautious? Are you more minded to think, well, there's no rush really to run him if we don't have to? Yeah, no, absolutely, Nick. Obviously, we always thought he was a very special horse before he ever even ran. Um, obviously, uh, and then he went, obviously, he won his maiden and nace, and then he went on to Ascot, and then we came back to the... Um, the Heinz trial at the Corran and like obviously it was he had only ran five furlongs in Ascot and he stepped up in distance uh, was six and a little bit more at the Corran obviously when he was so impressive that day like we kind of really uh, like it really confirmed to us what we thought he, he could be and obviously then we saw what he did in the Heinz so um and uh, when you get a, a kind of a horse that special and that exciting obviously you don't take absolutely no chance whatsoever with him really so it wouldn't be the end of the world for you if he didn't run again this year? I don't think so, Nick, but obviously it will be totally dependent on himself. Um, and when we're 100% happy that the soreness is all gone and everything is right, then he'll go back into work. But obviously we won't force him to do that in any way. Like We hope, hope that he will tell us, really. Uh, Ryan Moore seemed, seemed pretty happy that this was a horse who'd, who'd get a mile next year. Do you share his confidence? Uh, well, Ryan said to me that he that he ran straight through the line at the Cora and he said to me he would get seven the next day standing on his head, you know. So obviously when when uh, Ryan would say something like that and obviously he was getting a serious vibe from him, um, like you obviously have to be uh, a very, uh, you have to take it very seriously. And this no nay never vibe, if if you like to use your word, with the two year olds this this season is is working out exceptionally well. You were always very good at telling us what characterised what stallions and what made them good. Why do you think this is clicking so well now with meditate him Blackbeard? Yeah, I, I suppose they have a lot of natural pace, Nick. Obviously, um, that's that's the the thing. But like it's it's uh, like obviously uh, this crop that came that are running now are the best crop that he would have got and and see me the next crop are better mares and 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 so forth you know so um his stock always had a lot of speed but now when their good mares are going to him, the more quality mares it looks like um they're stretching out their speed and just before you go, Aidan, I just wanted a, a very quick word on, on Luxembourg. It, it seems as though he's pleased you since that comeback run in, in the Royal Whip. Have you stepped up his work a little bit? 
It has, yes. Work has stepped up plenty, Nick, and look, we're very happy. Um, we were so delighted to get the run into him in the Royal Whip, and, and we were so delighted with the run. But obviously, every every couple of days after has been ramping up, and, and uh, obviously still is. And, and uh, no, like everything is going very well so far. I mean, he's quite a hard horse for us to assess, isn't he? I mean, really good run in the Guineas. I mean, good form as a two-year-old. But, I mean, in your heart, do you believe that there's a lot more that we haven't seen yet? I think so, Nick, yes. Um, obviously, uh, he was very good. I think he was unbeaten last year as a two-year-old. And he always showed a lot of brilliance. And then he went to the Guineas and he clipped heels after going 50 yards. And, uh, like, obviously, he was unlucky not to... Uh, on ship Ryan, you know, so and and he was beaten, and then he was beaten less than two lengths in the guineas, um, and uh, like for him that to happen to him early, that type of horse, and to be still only beaten two lengths, like I think he was only beaten a length and three quarters or something, um, so obviously the plan was then that he would go to Epson, and like we were really looking forward to that, but obviously that didn't happen, and all in his program was to go from. The Guineas to Epson, go from Epson to the Irish Derby, and then to come back uh, into the Champion Stakes. So obviously, when that happened, we we missed the next two, and then uh, we were only hoping that he might make the Champion Stakes, and we felt that he couldn't make it unless he had a run. So we, that's why it was very uh, vital to get the car run into him in the Royal Whip, and and. Uh, and uh, like that's why we were so delighted that if he did that, then he had a chance of like giving a real good account of himself in the in the champion stakes. You know, so um, everything is going good so far, and we're very happy since. And then we're look, like obviously looking forward to the champion stakes at the moment. And of course, there's no no Baid in the Irish champion stakes either. That was mooted as a possibility. Still, two very good French horses. Um, I must ask, Aidan, if Baid was yours, where would you run him, Asker or Lanchon? Yeah, so listen, obviously uh, nobody knows Barton William and like a serious, like a very serious, uh, unbelievable experienced uh, trainer um, um, and, and he will know better than anybody and it'll all be about what the horse will tell him and uh, whatever feel he gets uh, for him. So I suppose he, he has an option. Um, uh, I, I think obviously just listening and reading in the papers that it looks like the arc is on their mind and whether he'll have a prep before or not I don't know and it'll, nobody will, will know that better than William really Do you, do you think when that, they're that good distance matters that much? Ah, listen, it's, obviously all horses are different um, like he, uh, we, obviously we saw what he done over a mile and then a mile and a quarter and, and uh, obviously I suppose he hasn't ran a mile and a half yet so it will be very interesting and, and to be very exciting for everybody to see really Aidan, thanks so much for your time A pleasure, Nick That was Aidan O'Brien Lydia, what did you pick out of that little lot? Um I mean, there is clearly a possibility that, as you put to Aidan, that we don't see Little Big Bear again this season, which would be a great shame after his absolute demolition of the Phoenix Stakes by seven lengths. That was just an incredible performance. But, you know, clearly he had that issue and that is going to keep him from the National Stakes and it might yet keep him out for the rest of the season. I hope not. Um, I'd love to see him again after that performance. I mean, it's going to take something for any, any horse to to eclipse it in terms of well, two-year performances in 2022. Is it, it sounds as though it's kind of Dewhurst or nothing now, doesn't it? 
It very much does. And, you know, the the, the Dewhurst tends to be uh, the preeminent uh, race for two-year-olds in Europe. Um, so, you know, that is a, a, a logical target to go for. And that, that would be that would be very exciting um, to see him on, on that kind of track uh, and at the track that presumably they are hoping he will come back and contest the 2,000 guineas next year. And could Aidan pull a rabbit out of the hat yet with a three-year-old colt this season, courtesy of, of Luxembourg. Uh, it's one of those where you have to immerse yourself in your in your, in your your own trust of the trainer, really, isn't it? Yeah, to a great degree, yes, I think so. I mean, if we, if we wind back to 2000 Guineas Day, when he was only beaten two and a quarter lengths by Caribus, and as Aidan O'Brien points out, he did stumble early, early on, and he did really well to get as close as, as he did at that time. Then he was all set for the derby, and on his pedigree, a mile and a half really looked like it was going to suit him very well. Um, you know, he's by Camelot, and there's a, there's a, a lot of... I mean, the dam is a, the sister to a Group 3 winner over a mile and a half as well. That was Forgotten Voice. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stamina in the pedigree. He's come back and he's won a race he really should win and probably didn't need, I'm sure he didn't need to run to his best to win the, the, the Royal Whip. And now he's got a very big test and clearly he needed the Royal Whip uh, run to get him ready for this much bigger test. My question would, I think, would be the 10 furlongs, but I have to remember that he wasn't beaten that far in adverse circumstances against at least one horse, Native Trail, who's proved himself at open Group 1 level, and Caribus, who has gone on to put up some good performance, but last time we saw him was a shade disappointing. So um, it's it's really interesting. You are having to trust the trainer. In my mind's eye, I saw him as a mile and a half horse. Uh, what do you see? What do you see, Baida? As Aiden was not going to be drawn on where William <laughs> yeah, should, very good track should should run Baida. You know, you've got to give it a go, haven't you? <laughs> um, uh, what do I what do I think? Um, I think it would be very exciting. I mean, from the fan perspective, it would be incredibly exciting, and certainly nothing that you saw at York would suggest that he wouldn't be perfectly capable of reproducing that level of form over a mile and a half. I mean, it was, you know, he looked very comfortable. I'm Shekhar Hissa said afterwards how comfortably he looked at 10 furlongs that they, they had they had essentially found the trip at which he was best. At that point, they were all thinking they were going to be sticking to 10 furlongs. And the authority and the impressiveness of the success meant that they, and, and the clamour meant that they are now looking at the arc. They are going to need a sand surface from the sand of things. And that is not always guaranteed as we have frequently seen on arc day. If you were if you were running British Champion Series, would it stick in your craw at all that all of the UK-based media and many of the UK-based fans were clamouring to see him run in a race in France and not in what is supposed to be British Racing's great finale on, on Champions Day? I don't think you can manufacture a fan reaction. You know, you... It's what people are talking about, and you know, you, you they've created this this Champions Day, and I, it, it's worked far better than I initially imagined it, it would. I mean, I think it's a it's a really great day, but it does have to compete with the Arc, which over many seasons now in recent years has more often than not been the preeminent middle distance race in Europe, and that's just a fact. And you, you know, you you can't you you can you can create. A lot of positive things through um, marketing and through collecting races together and, you know, and injecting more prize money and just generating a great deal more focus. And there is no doubt that British Champions Day, in my mind, has been a really real success story. And it's a, it's a great day. 
But, you know, the ARC remains the ARC. The European programme remains the European programme. And there are known highlights to that. And the people who are involved in campaigning their horses are also thinking about what winning certain races means for that horse's stallion profile if it's an entire. Uh, just going back to where we started this this podcast, Lydia, um, uh, we got, I got slightly lost down the DJ, DJ Jeffrey's rabbit hole. <laughs> but if, if I read out every uh, medication positive that was recorded in every fast track case, that's all we'd be doing on this podcast, yeah. whether it be here or in America or Ireland or whatever. And you can make of that what you will. Um, but there is something to do with the way that they, that they are presented, portrayed, written up that I think leaves people with more questions than answers on occasion. And that's rather reared its head again over the last couple of days. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, two points I'd make on this. I mean, so, for example, um, by contrast to the um, to the slowness uh, of what happened in the John Murphy case, which, you know, took more than a, a year to get before the referrals committee, over on this side, of the Irish Sea, uh, we had uh, the fast track cases from the disciplinary panel published uh, yesterday. And among these, George Scott got a £1,500 fine for um, a breach of the rules with Pridwin. Um, this is a, a horse that tested positive again, and um, George Scott represented the B, asked for the B sample, and it confirmed the presence of five hydroxydantraline. Um, and then I, I read from the very short uh, account of what went on here. Following an investigation, it was established that adverse analytical finding was likely to be the consequence of either environmental contamination due to a small amount of dantrium being on the wall in the stable of Pridwin or an inadvertent administration of dantrium 48 hours before the race. And then all it says is that the horse will be disqualified. Um, now, fast track cases are decided by the BHA case manager who looks at all the evidence and whether they have sufficient evidence. And then it is presented to the trainer to say whether they wholly accept the findings. And at that point, if the trainer does um, and they have to wholly accept them, then the case can be fast tracked. However, because we don't know what 5-hydroxydantraline is or does, you know, to the, to the lay person, it enables people to um, to run away with themselves, potentially, uh, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, given the, the way in which this is, this is contextualised, um, because we don't have enough information, which leads me to something that you and I have talked about many times on this podcast, which is I think we need to have a much bigger conversation about um, what the what the various drugs slash medications are, you know, what are the drugs that are prohibited at all times, and what are the drugs that are allowed, the medications that are allowed when you have a horse in training but can't be present on race day. And I think there needs to be a, a more of an effort made by horse racing worldwide to have a conversation about this and to to decide where they they draw the line and whether the line should be drawn differently compared to where it is now, but also to educate about the the differences between those various types of drugs slash medications yeah. because i don't know enough to, and, and not being not being a vet or a pharmacist to be to be able to understand and so the public uh, the risk for the reputation of horse racing totally. is that the public thinks that there is more going on here than there might be and you know given the um the headlines that we have had all around the world about various nefarious practices there's enough that is going on without without leaving these unanswered questions i must confess lydia i didn't expect to see a, a story like this coming from america although i'm sure many people 
wouldn't be surprised. Jockey Gerard Melanson, a mainstay, according to uh, TDN, atop the riding standings in Louisiana, was arrested on August the 26th on a charge related to the alleged possession of an electrical shocking device after Evangeline Downs a steward reporting the incident to state police. This was a story broken by Ray Paulick of the of the Paulick Report. Apparently, confirmations of unnatural stimulation of horses uh, from the St. Landry Parish Sheriff's Office. Uh, but details were scant because of an ongoing investigation. Oh, dear, dear. Yes, um, I was interested that you, you there could be an investigation under the unnatural stimulation of horses. Um, that was something I learned as well. But yeah, this this seems a bit of an of an extraordinary tale. Clearly, Ray Paulick um, had the scoop on this. He was saying that um, Melanson has been released on a twenty thousand dollar bail bond. Been announced that uh, the state police and the Evangeline stewards will conduct separate investigations. But there's a complementing fact, a complicating factor in that the Evangeline race meeting is finished and the stewards are not considered to be on the job 48 hours after a meet ends. So they're going to have to sort that out. And in the Thoroughbred Daily News follow up of the Paulick report, they also go on to give you the track record of uh, Gerard Melanson. Um, but of course, when the stewards and the police initially consider the um, alleged um, thing that he's done, they will only consider that uh, that practice itself. I mean, you know, things things like your track record only become relevant uh, if the people hearing it think it's relevant at the point of deciding what the sentence or penalty should be. Well, our listeners in the UK and perhaps in Ireland and France will be quite familiar with Women in Racing, which has been up and running for several years now to significant success. And if you're with us in April time, the Grand Women's Summit, which we've been running at Aintree Racecourse for a number of years. Now, something very similar has been inaugurated in the United States because California's inaugural Horse Racing Women's Summit has been confirmed for September 28th to the 30th of Santa Anita Park. Stephanie Ronas is the committee chair for HR. RWS and Stephanie really it was it was your idea in the first instance just tell me a little bit about why you felt it was it was necessary to to bring uh, women together in in US horse racing for a summit such as this Thank you um, very much for having me on today Nick um, on behalf of myself and our entire committee uh, we're very grateful to be able to help get the word out about who we are where we started and and what our our goals are with the summit um and definitely the uk women in racing uh program was an inspiration to us as well we had met with um one of the leaders there and um she spent some time with us explaining about the program and um that helped to definitely inspire us to to want to be able to get this off the ground and originally it started last summer we did um through toc thoroughbred owners of california we um, had a, a luncheon with a group of women and um, with a goal of just trying to bring some ladies to the track that might be interested in engaging further in the sport, possibly ownership or as a spectator, as a fan, um, or maybe other avenues. And um, it was a great success. And we quickly sold out and there was a tremendous feedback and enthusiasm about bringing women together stephanie when you sent your your research out what kind of feedback did you get back from from women in the industry uh, so from the women the feedback that we got was 
there was a lot of messages, um, the kind of anecdotal pieces, other than just the, the answering our questions. But um, the it was very much, this has been a long time coming. Yes, please do this. Yes, I would be interested. Here's some names of people. Like, please make sure they get the word. Um, but a, a lot of just overall please do this. This We've needed this for a long time. We really want to bring women together, help grow women engagement in the sport um, in, in multiple areas. So um, I would say the overall just, yeah, very resounding. We need this. We, we need women in the sport. And to help raise awareness too of, um, of, of women going into, growing into leadership roles, um, whether that's like on the executive side of matters, maybe training, um, social media. Um, there's a lot of women wanting to engage further or or just to even start. And um, so we're hoping the goal is with the summit that um, this can help with women setting some goals and and strategies to reaching those goals and being inspired by the phenomenal guest speakers that we have coming including our keynote tell me a little bit about your your keynote speaker yes um so one of our committee members kelly hill um has she she is friends with susan packard and susan packard um is she was the first Churchill Downs and um, just real it's it's really amazing what she's accomplished and I can't wait for what she has to share during her keynote and um, she also was a co-founder of HGTV MSNBC and other media type companies and so she's very much served in uh, male dominated industries and has great experience with that and she's authored three books um one of them involves a rules of the game, um, like how to engage with being in a male-dominated industry and setting goals for yourself. Um, and she's going to be speaking about um, a, a new book that she has coming out. It's or that just came out. It's um, about college sobriety. So that that's an area that we do want to support with that that book, but particularly her experience with breaking down barriers and and walking into meetings and boardrooms with predominantly um, male um, male audiences. And I think that, that these areas are, are ones that maybe if you are a male, you might not think about when you are amongst your kind mostly. Um, but for women, that's, that's a it's, it's a different skill set that there has to be preparations for and you have to be very cognizant of. And, and really sometimes it could be very different languages um, and just ways information is processed. And so it can be intimidating. And um, so we have, in addition to Susan, some amazing women coming in that are going to help give some strategies and insights into what their experiences were my goal as a as a former educator is that um, in working with the speakers as they're preparing is to be able to give some real nuggets to our conference or summit attendees that they're going to have some real strategies that they can walk away from. It's going to be inspiring 
and we want to motivate, but at the same time, there's the then what piece, like, well, then what do I do with all of this? And so that's the goal with our speakers is they're going to help give our attendees some really good then what's like, here's how you can do this. And here's how you can set some goals for yourself and work on your strategies. What are your steps going to be to help move you towards meeting those goals? All right, my thanks to Stephanie Ronis there um, uh, and best of luck to her with the inaugural Women's Summit that takes place at the end of September. Lydia is still with me. Uh, Flightline, who is one of the world's most exciting horses in the Pacific Classic this weekend. Lydia, there are those who still believe he's a better horse than Baid. Yes, absolutely. He'll have a chance to to uh, to show that or, or not. Why weren't you empowered to ask about Flightline there? Uh, well, you know, different... A different occasion called for a different line of questioning. But you can, of course, hear Stephanie Ronis on the excellent Breeders' Cup a Cocktails and Conversation show, which I will be hosting with Brittany Erton tomorrow night uh, from 10 o'clock uh, British time, 5 o'clock Eastern. You set them up, I knock them down. <laughs> right. Have you got a tip for me for today? Yes, it's 10, 10, 20 in the 7, 10. It will be that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! You caught me not asking Stephanie Ronis about flight line was my biggest crime on this podcast. Um, I'm going tomorrow at Salisbury. Uh, the 4:56 at Salisbury, a horse called Mirabichi, who I think um, was sat too close to the pace last time, has generally been running very consistently, and I think this is his chance of getting off the mark for this season. He won so many, many times last season. I think he's he's such a consistent and honest horse. He really deserves a win. I think he's been put in the right race to do so. I'm off to plug my brain back in. I'm off to Burley Horse Trials, in fact, for a couple of days, which leaves Tom in the hot seat Thursday and Friday, which is probably a damn good job too after what's easily been the most surreal podcast so far. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, August the 31st. Probably best not to ask you to leave a review or a rating today. Uh, So we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.